just a moment to get my stuff together. Let me deal with the unfortunate elephant that is in the room. It is a rough morning today. Um, uh, Last week I shared with you my splotches of my poison oak experience from Alabama, and uh, apparently that has um, made its way to affect my eyes a couple of days ago. Uh, So I have been to the doctor, so thank you for your advice. Uh, I've gone to the doctor, I've got a steroid injection, and I'm taking medication, but unfortunately for me, or more so maybe unfortunate for you, is that my eyes just aren't quite cooperating with me. And so they're kind of puffy and swollen, and any of you that are in things like a Snapchat, it looks like I have the baby face filter or whatever, and I just, I didn't want to miss today. I don't like missing church on Sunday in general. I did not want to miss it, miss it today. I started a Bible, uh, Bible study class this morning. It was our first time to get together, and I wanted to, to be there for that. I knew that we were going to be honoring McKenzie, and I did not want to miss that opportunity to see that. And also today is the day that, as other churches in our nation today, uh, they're taking time to recognize and to honor uh, those that serve in law enforcement. And I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to be be a part of that. I did not want to pass that off to anybody else. And yesterday, at some point, Casey asked me, "She's like, are you sure you don't want to get somebody to preach for you today?" And I was like, "No. I, if I can walk and I can speak, then I'm going to to be there. This is just a minor inconvenience. We're going to be all good." Some of you are like, "I really want to see you with those glasses off." <laughs> yeah, it ain't going to happen. You should have came to my Bible study class, and you could have seen it then. So, with that being said, let me read a a portion of Scripture to you, if I could. Uh, Romans chapter 13, it says, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore... Whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and those who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is the minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them. Tax, to whom taxes due. Custom, to whom custom. Fear, 
to whom fear or respect, to whom respect, and honor, to whom honor. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Today we pause to give our respect and honor to those who serve our community through law enforcement. And so for those that are serving or for those that have served in any capacity within the law enforcement community, would you do us the privilege of please standing where you are so that you can be recognized? Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Think about this. The men and women who faithfully put on their uniforms and serve our community, they do so and they say goodbye to their families as they go to report for duty, not knowing if, when or in what condition they will be in when their shift has come to an end. It is a sobering reality and not knowing if you'll return from your shift. Just think in 2020, there were 364 men and women who met their end of watch date. That's in our nation. So far this year, 149 men and women have met their end of watch date. Is that my microphone that's popping? Can you bring me the other one, please? So that's 149 men and women in Texas alone that have met their end of watch date. 149. I'm sorry, that's in the nation. In Texas, that number is 27. 27 men and women have given their lives in service to our great state. Check. Of those 27 who have given their lives, 22 have died as a result of COVID, and five have given their lives in line of duty. Those five include Deputy Sheriff Samuel Leonard, Sergeant Stephen Jones, Trooper Chad Walker, Police Officer Mitchell Pinton, and from the Mesquite Police Department, Canine Cosmo. Our law enforcement, they deserve so much more than what our culture is currently giving them. They deserve respect, honor, 
appreciation, gratitude. Instead of defund the police, we ought to be doing all that we can to ensure that we give greater salary and benefits to those that are giving their lives in service for us. As you see them throughout the day, or as you're in your home or place of business, and you hear those sirens going off, I would encourage you to take the time to stop and to pray. Pray for wisdom. Pray for protection. Pray for them. And that's what I'd like for us to do in this moment, is to pause for a word of prayer. So would you join me in praying? Heavenly Father, we come before you today grieved in heart over the division that exists throughout our country. Regardless of color or creed, we grieve for every lost life to violence. We especially grieve this day over the senseless death of the law enforcement officers who were sworn to protect us from harm. Father, please grant comfort and hope to those families. We know that they have a sacred task to enforce laws that exist to both protect the innocent and to punish the guilty. We pray that you will protect them as they serve us. May you give them wisdom and discernment. Watch over every law enforcement officer in our nation. Keep them from harm in the performance of their duty. Lord, we know that Your Word teaches us that in You there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. In other words, all superficial distinctions between us have been abolished by Your work upon the cross. So by Your grace and through Your power, Father, lead us into a new day of racial harmony in our land. A day in which Your name is lifted high and exalted throughout our nation. A day when the rule of law is honored by all. Father, renew us in spirit, in mind, and in heart so that we might truly become one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, take those Bibles and open them up to Romans chapter 4. Many, many years ago, I underwent a, a fundamental shift in my approach to preaching. Since that time, I have embraced an expository approach to preaching the Word of God. This simply means that I preach the Word of God chapter by chapter, section by section, or book by book. Instead of moving from one topic to another, especially in a culture where hot topic issues kind of come and go ever so rapidly, Instead of going from a topical approach to preaching, we take a systematic approach to preaching the Word of God. So we take that systematic approach so that no matter what issue you face, 
no matter what topic you're dealing with, you'll have a firm foundation on how to handle your circumstance because you've been grounded and built up with the whole counsel of the Word of God. Let's face it, if we were to do topical sermons, sometimes uh, there are surveys that are done and uh, requests that are made on what issues would you like to hear preached about. I struggle with that. Because let's face it, not everyone in here is dealing with the same issue, the same topic. In fact, I'm convinced that the average person doesn't even know what they need to be hearing and receiving from the Word of God. And what the world needs is a clear understanding of the opening chapters of the book of Romans. I mean, I'm convinced that's what the church needs as well. We need to understand just how radically sinful we are. How, how sin so infects and affects every aspect of our lives. So much so that we are totally unable to live up to God's standards and to affect our own salvation. We are helpless and hopeless apart from Jesus Christ. We need to understand that we are in need of a righteousness which comes from God. That's what he says in Romans chapter 1, verse 17. In fact, in Romans chapter 3, verse number 22, it says that this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. We need to understand uh, the beauty of Philippians chapter 3, verse number 9, that, that we must be found in Him, not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Now we need, as a church, we need to understand this so that we can clearly say in accordance to Timothy, no, Titus chapter 3, verse number 5, that He saved us not because of righteous things that we have done, but because of His mercy. See, Romans chapter 4 presents the spiritual reality that we are justified by faith apart from works, as verses 1-8. through We're justified by faith apart from circumcision or, or rites or, or, or spiritual or, or religious traditions. That's verses 9-12. through We're justified by faith apart from the law. And that's what we'll see this morning here in verses 13 through 17. May you understand that these are not different points, but they are different aspects from the same point. And that point being that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Verse number 13. Paul writes and he says, For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So not only was Abraham justified before circumcision was commanded, that's what we talked about last week, not only was he justified before circumcision was commanded, he was justified, he was declared righteous before the law was ever codified. 
When Abraham was declared right with God, he was neither circumcised nor was he in possession of the written word of the law of God. This historical fact is, as Paul writes about in Galatians chapter 3, verse number 17, he says that the law came 430 years after Abraham was made heir to the promise by faith. So in Genesis chapter 15, when Abraham was declared righteous with God, circumcision had not been required by God, and his law had not been revealed by God. The key word in this verse is that word promise. Abraham was justified by believing God's promise, not by obeying his law. The promise to Abraham was given purely through the grace of God. Abraham didn't earn it. Certainly, he did not deserve it. And yet, God promised that he would be heir of the world. Now, in order for us to understand what it means for Abraham to be heir of the world, it would be helpful for us to be reminded of some of those promises that God made to and through Abraham. Three of them come to my mind. First of all, God promised that Abraham would have many descendants. That promise can be found in Genesis chapter 12, verse number 2, chapter 13, verse 16, chapter 15, verse 5, and chapter 17, verses 4 through 6. So God promised that he would have many descendants. God promised that he would possess the land of Canaan. You'll see that promise in Genesis chapter 13, verses 15 through 17. Again, it's repeated in chapter 15, verse number 17, and in chapter 17, verse number 8. So, so the promise that we have many descendants that he would possess the land of Canaan. And then the third one is that he would be a source of blessing to all nations. You'll see that promise in Genesis chapter 12, verse number 3. Again, it's repeated in chapter 18, verse 18. And in chapter 21, verse number 18. So, while the Old Testament text does not use the exact terminology that Paul uses here, nowhere in the Old Testament text will you see Abraham uh, being referred to as the heir of the world. What most likely is happening here is that Paul is summarizing these promises as he now understands them in light of New Testament revelation. So, so Paul then says, and look at verse number 14. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. So if it is only through the law that we can become heirs to the kingdom of God, then faith has become empty. It is useless. Not only that, it says the promise of God has no effect and so why would that be? How would that be true? I mean, just think about it. If justification is achieved through perfect obedience to the law, 
then we have no hope because none of us, apart from Jesus Christ Himself, can fully keep perfectly every aspect of the law. So if Jews could become heirs in their obedience to the law, then faith is made void. Meaning faith has no value. Faith has been made empty. It is without content. But how? How does the law void faith? Well, simply stated, the law demands perfection. The law insists for it to be obeyed. The law cries out, violate and break me, you become guilty, condemned, worthy of punishment. And nobody can live perfectly righteous before God in our own strength. Nobody can keep from falling short and breaking the law of God at some point in their lives. Therefore, every one of us are lawbreakers. We're imperfect. We're we're short of the glory of God. And so if the promise of God's inheritance is found through the law, then no one will inherit the promise. For the promise is given only to the perfectly righteous. And no one is perfectly righteous in and of themselves. And so not only is faith made void, but the promise is nullified. That's what it says. The promise is nullified. That means the, the promise, the promise is, is worthless. It has been made invalid. And so if God's promise is only to be received through perfect obedience to the law, which neither Abraham was able to fulfill, none of his children, none of us could live in perfect obedience to the law of God. So if God's promise is only to be achieved through obedience to the law, then faith is canceled and the promise is nullified. Let me help you out. Let me get you to understand it. In other words, to base a promise on an impossible condition is to nullify the promise. See, the more a person seeks to justify themselves by perfect keeping of the law, the more that person proves their inability to do so because of their sinfulness. Just as surely as the law reveals the righteousness of God, it also exposes the sinfulness of man. The reason that this is true is seen in the very next verse. Look at verse number 15. It says, For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there also is no violation. So what the law does The law exposes our guilt and it reveals our unrighteousness. The law cannot possibly be a means of justification. It is only a means of condemnation. The law is not a savior. The law is a judge. That's the very point of the law. 
the law can only accuse. It can never deliver. The law can only point out our sin. It can never save us from sin. The law can only condemn. It has no power to set someone free. And Paul presses his point to say that where there is no law, there also is no violation. Because the very concept of sin is the lack of conformity to a standard, therefore, when there is no standard, there is no lack of conformity. And so and he writes and he continues in, in verse number 16, for this reason, it is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So notice the, the promise of salvation comes by faith so that it might be in accordance with the grace of God. In other words, the promise of salvation is not by merit. The promise of salvation is not by good deeds. The promise of salvation is not given because someone was baptized. The promise of salvation is not given because someone is a member of a church. No, the promise of salvation is by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's it. Which means God doesn't analyze us and then under the scrutiny of that analyzing process, He doesn't go on to pronounce us righteous because He's found pure righteousness in us after His careful examination of us. No. It says that God graciously gives us the gift of justification when we believe. He, 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 when we believe, what happens is the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ is immediately and permanently imputed upon the person who believes. So God doesn't look at us and say, oh, well, there's, there's enough righteousness in that person that I'll grant them salvation. No. It's when we believe the promise of God, we believe in Jesus Christ, that God takes that belief and credits that belief as the perfect righteousness that Jesus Christ had. In verse number 17, he says, As it is written, A father of many nations have I made you in the presence of him, whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Paul is referring to the promise made to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 15. The promise that he would be a father, not just a father of the Jewish nation, but a father of many nations. So the promises of God were not limited. The promise of salvation by God was not limited to, to Israel and Israel alone. Which means whoever you are, whatever your background, 
whatever your level of education is, whatever your political affiliation might be, if the hope of your salvation has been placed in the finished work of Jesus Christ, then Abraham is your father. He's the father of us all. So if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then you too are are among the numbered of those who believe and are justified by faith. So given the reality of sin, the law can only enforce the penalty of God's wrath. The law cannot deliver us from it. You see, deliverance can only be found in forgiveness. Forgiveness is only possible because of the grace of God. And grace can only be received through faith in God's promise. I'll say it like this. Grace and faith are naturally compatible. Faith fits the key, or faith is the key that fits the lock that unlocks the treasure of God's blessing of salvation. And for those that believe the promise of God, for those that believe that Jesus has accomplished all that is necessary for salvation to be received, then God will take your belief and He will permanently credit that belief as righteousness. And that is the only hope that we have of being able to dwell with Him for eternity in heaven. So it really comes down to, do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe God's promise of salvation? Do you believe that Jesus Christ accomplished all that was necessary through His life, death, His resurrection, seen in His ascension, and to be celebrated in His return? Do you believe? Do you believe that God raised Him from the dead? Will you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life? Master, ruler, that you'll put yourself in subjectation unto Him. That you will do whatever He calls you to do. You will go wherever He sends you. You'll be faithful to Him, to Him, in all things and in all ways. Next week we get to finish out chapter 4. But today, we'll pause here. I mean, lead us in prayer. We'll have a, a song to wrap this all up with. The staff and I will be at the front to pray with you if you so desire or to talk you through any commitments that you might like to make today. But before we do any of that, would you bow your heads and join me in prayer? Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for this church. 
Father, I pray that as we continue to dig into studying your word, that we would be challenged and convicted each and every time that we come together. And God, may we leave this place differently than when we arrived. God, help us to to fully trust in you. May each and every one of us experience salvation by your grace through faith in your Son. For those of us that believe, Father, may your Spirit bring within us an awareness of what it is that we're doing that is an offense unto you, or what it is that we're not doing that you've called us to do and that we need to get busy about doing. All of us have needs in this place. We thank you for the reality that your word calls us to cast our burdens upon you because you care for us. And so maybe in this time of singing, singing, Father, we can have just a a season of burden casting. We just give it to you. We ask for you to intercede in a miraculous and a mighty way in each and every circumstance. But ultimately, Father, we know that we exist to glorify you to make your glory known so whatever is necessary for that to happen, Father, make it happen. May you be pleased by what you see in and from us in this moment. Holy Spirit, move. Father, be glorified. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.